Good morning. This is Mike Smullen, Director of Alumni Relations at New Jersey Institute of Technology. I'm very pleased to welcome you to our latest Highlander chat uh, on managing supply chain disruption. So now it's my pleasure to introduce Oya Tukel, Dr. Oya Tukel, who is the Dean of the Martin Tuckman School of Management at NJIT. Dr. Tukel, thanks very much for joining us. Thank you so much, Mike. Thank you for giving us an opportunity to dis uh, discuss one of the new topics uh, that's very relevant to the audience today. And it's my pleasure to introduce Mr. Steve Rubin, who is going to be our guest. Uh, Steve currently serve, serves as the Martin Tuckman School of Management Advisory Board. He is a very accomplished logistics executive with almost three decades of leadership in the container shipping and intermodal industries. In parentheses, some of this is my research area, so I'm very interested to hear what he is going to be uh, talking about. Um, he serves. He served many years as chief executive officer of nation's largest intermodal terminal and depot services. Uh, he was a CEO at the largest domestic ocean carrier and CEO of the largest intermodal leasing company. Um, he led successful sales of two companies, uh, yielding excellent returns for shareholders. He is an experienced leader in corporate transformation and restructuring. Um, he has appeared regularly as moderator or expert panelist in many of the leading industry conferences. He was recently a guest speaker for my class. My students enjoyed his presentation immensely. Uh, we're very happy to have you, Steve, here, our guest, and looking forward to today's discussion. Thank you, Oya, Dean Tukel. So, Steve, uh, one of the first questions that Oya and I had uh, both discussed when we were uh, looking to invite you to the Highlander chat um, mm -hmm. was that clearly in this current time, as the country continues to deal with the effects of the COVID crisis, we're all learning a little bit more about exactly how much, how reliant we are on supply chain. Uh, I don't know about you, but every time I, I order something off of Walmart or Amazon now, I think to myself, man, how long is it going to take me to get from one place to another place to another place? And is it even in this country when I make the order? Um, so I've got to imagine that there's there's just so much advanced planning that goes into it. And you've got decades of experience at some of the largest shipping containers in the world. How do you plan for disruptions to supply chain when we're in such a, a global state of affairs? Yeah, that's, that's an excellent question. First, uh, I'd like to thank uh, Dean Tukel for that, that great introduction. And um, I'm really just pleased to be here to, to engage in uh, the discussion topic. So uh, when we think about supply chain, uh, there, are, there are two parts. There's the production of the goods, and then there's the logistics of moving the goods from source of origin to ultimately place of destination where they're purchased. So my, my background is uh, as a logistics professional, and you know my uh, in my in in my line of work, I, I needed to think about how do I prevent disruptions from goods flowing from production to consumption. So I'll I'll talk a, a lot about that, but I'm, I'm also uh, I'll also talk about the production side as well, since that one is really at the heart of our, our current. Uh, supply chain challenges in, in this uh, COVID-19 pandemic situation. First off, uh, no matter how well thought out and executed a supply chain disruption contingency plan is, 
excuse me, I'm sorry. It's uh, very unlikely um, that there will be no disruption. That's a double negative. So meaning no matter how well you plan, you're going to have to plan for, for some problem. And uh, this might be obvious, but there is a, a direct correlation between the severity of the event and the level of the disruption. Um, the second thing to mention is that the supply chain, as we know it today, and Mike, you, you mentioned you know, the Walmart and other big box retailers, but these supply chains have been pulled very, very tight in the last 10 years to become extremely efficient. And uh, corporate America has used uh, well-known management techniques uh, such as lean manufacturing and just-in-time. And, and those are some that Dean Tuchel has actually uh, introduced in, in her class and that I've, that I've participated in. So that there's much less excess product in the supply chain pipeline than ever before. So any disruptive event is going to have a more noticeable impact on consumer product availability than might have been 10 years ago. But the first order of planning for a supply chain disruption would be you have to decide what you're planning for. Are you planning for a weather disruption, strikes, fuel price spike or shortage, or, or some other type of event? And you, a, a professional and a business could spend, you know, or I could actually spend my whole interview just talking about the range of disruptions, but a business has to actually be thinking about probabilities based on history. You know, what is probably going to happen, you know, of a disruptive event like weather over the next year or two. Then you think about possible events. And then, of course, there's the black swan, such as a global pandemic. But, you know, because, you know, and I've had to run businesses before, you can't spend all your time planning. You can't spend all your time in the boardroom thinking about what might happen. You really need to be thinking about what is the most likely scenario of a disruptive event. So, one, you have to focus on what's most likely and then really plan for those events. And by and large, these large public companies do a pretty decent job of it, but some don't. And smaller companies usually don't have the resources or the time to adequately plan. And some plans can be executed on a dime, such as rerouting a ship from, let's say, Los Angeles to Seattle. But some supply, supply chain disruption plans need months, if not years, of advanced execution, such as a company like Walmart creating distribution centers in ports other than, let's say, Los Angeles and New York, but putting them in Houston or Savannah, Georgia, what used to be considered alternative ports, to ensure their supply chain fluidity in the case of weather disruption events. Now, the, cha the challenge of planning for supply chain disruption has really heightened with the rise of globalization. That's another concept that Dean Tuchel had spoke about in her class. The potential disruptive factors have really increased. There are more steps in the supply chain to attend to and plan for than there have ever been. But that being said, there's also an opportunity to use globalization to actually you know, spread out the risk of enabling production and logistics across the globe versus being dependent on one or two factors, let's say in the United States. That being said, the impact that this pandemic has on rethinking of global supply chain is important consideration. And in fact, was, was just highlighted in the New York Times literally today. And that's gonna be an important uh, factor in future disruption and sustainably planning. Um, one last, 
uh, point is really about today. And for those of us who have gone grocery shopping and seen the shelves perpetually empty of paper products and restrictions on meat and eggs, I, in my estimation, you know, many of these shortages we're experiencing during these times, they're not technically supply chain disruptions or supply chain driven. They're really supply shortages caused by demand shocks. I mean, when the demand for face masks or disinfectant wipes increases like by 300 times or so, there's going to be shortages. So I, I would look at what's happening in reality today. For the most part, it's not really the supply chain breaking. It's the demand supply balance breaking. So it sounds like there's a lot of resiliency that's more recently been built into this. Uh, just out of curiosity, when, when did you start to see that that tightening up the way that you mentioned it? Uh, you know, we're talking a year or two ago or the last decade or so. It's been 10 years uh, or, you know, at least, uh, you know, since the last uh, global economic great recession, the, 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 the business forces of driving efficiency throughout all companies' operations, including the supply chain, really became heightened as companies did everything they could to recover profitability lost during the you know, 2007-2008 Great Recession. And uh, nothing you know, begets success like success. And when some companies were, were really successful in creating profitability through efficiency of their supply chain, others took notice. Wall Street took notice. And I would say every company um, that I know of, that I've done business throughout my own um, experience within the intermodal and container shipping industries and our supply base retail customers have really done a tremendous job tightening up uh, the supply chain and making it a lot more efficient. And that really, really means taking waste or excess product out of the supply chain. So there's just not the accessibility of product um, sitting around on um, company shelves or even in warehouses and distribution centers like there used to be. Well, I've got to say, I think that's, uh, it's great to hear that because it means that if, <clears throat> if we are looking at more of a system shock as opposed to real long-term supply chain disruptions, mm -hmm. if there is such a great understanding of where everything is and we're looking to expand that beyond any one place, it sounds like we're actually in better shape than we might have been otherwise. So I'm, I'm kind of encouraged to hear that, frankly. Yeah. Uh, so, Steve, when you uh, <coughs> and I were talking with Dean Tukel when we first came up with the concept for this Highlander chat, one of the things that I noticed was uh, you're a graduate of some of the most distinguished economic schools in the country, Leonard and Stern mm -hmm. School of Business at NYU, uh, the Wharton School at Penn. Um, and you have this really tremendous experience behind you, but your very first job uh, or, or one of the first that you had was as an auditor at KPMG. And for a while you had a CPA license. When I looked at that, I said, you know, I, I wonder how these two things come together or if they come together, because it seems at first glance like such a major career shift. Um, I'm wondering if you can tell me a little bit about you know, what, what led you to one place and then to another, or was this a natural path for you? Yeah, thanks for asking. Um, <clears throat> I'll say it, it certainly wasn't planned that way. 
in terms of how I started <clears throat> coming out of business school, excuse me for my scratchy throat, and then making my way, you know, through the, the accounting world and then into the logistics world. Uh, coming out of school, actually, in, in uh, 1987, 88, my uh, dreams of, of going to Wall Street, because uh, I, I, I was a business school undergraduate major <clears throat> and a history major, actually, they were crushed by the market crash. But I did have a general plan um, and vision in that I saw business becoming more global. Uh, Japan was a rising economic power in the late 80s. And so I took really what the market would bear at the time which is I was able to actually take a year off, um, go to Japan, learn Japanese. I taught English, but uh, I had in my back pocket um, a, uh, an acceptance for uh, an MBA program at, uh, at New York University Stern School that was affiliated with uh, KPMG, one of the large big eight accounting firms at the time. So I started off a path that I really never thought about on, on the accounting side and I did that for a couple of years. Um, I got certified. It was highly encouraged. Um, became an auditor, but I, I was nobody's idea of really a skilled accountant or an auditor. But I had uh, a desire uh, for international business uh, or to participate. And I, had, I really wanted to, um, you know, go back to Japan and really leverage what I had learned as far as language and culture. And it just so happened that a job opportunity opened up in the shipping space, of which I knew nothing about, but it was a Japanese company. And uh, there was some talk of uh, them sending me to Japan. And I thought, okay, well, I'll join this company, move to Japan, and eventually slide over to a, a Japanese financial institution. And then I'll be back on my, on my larger vision. But I ended up, after six months, really loving the logistics business. I found the whole idea of uh, solving supply chain problems and making um, the business of transportation more efficient, really interesting. And, and the rest is history. I actually never moved back to Japan. I ended up staying with that shipping company for 18 years. That eventually you know, enabled me to take a step up to um, chief executive roles in mid-market uh, capitalized companies in the shipping industry and the logistics industry. And, um, and, and here I am today. And I, I'd say the accounting knowledge that I learned early in my career, uh, that was more of a, um, a requirement based on, you know, what the market bared back then. That accounting knowledge, you know, was extremely beneficial for my, my career development. I think it's beneficial for the business world and especially the higher you go up in any organization. And the higher you go, actually, the bigger advantage to have some familiarity with the accounting, it, it really is, because it helps you understand the profit loss statement, it helps you understand the balance sheet, it helps you understand the concepts of debt and capital structure, and certainly the, the concept of cash flow, and, in, and particularly in today's situation um, with the pandemic crushing businesses, the ability for executives to manage cash flow and preserve cash has never been more important. So it's it's really served me very well in my my career as CEO and also my board roles. So Steve, uh, you mentioned your career stretching back to the 1980s, and I, I remember these times pretty vividly. There was Black Monday, right? You had this huge market crash happening in the 1980s. Yeah. <clears throat> um, 
And it seems like almost every decade to 15 years, we've got these ups and downs. Uh, so uh, we had the dot-com era, the boom and the bust. Uh, we mm -hmm. had the early 2000s, obviously, after 9-11. Uh, we had the, the financial crisis. We've got this going on. Um, so it does seem like we've got sort of a statement of comparison, at least in terms of lessons learned from mm -hmm. uh, shipping intermodal supply chain and so on. Um, how do you think we're stacking up right now? I mean, you've got such a great basis of comparison. Do you think we're, we're effectively responding to the extent that we can? Uh, or do you think we've got a lot more to learn even over the past uh, couple decades of, of comparisons you could make? So another really good question. Uh, by and large, I think the logistics part of the supply chain equation is doing incredibly well given all the challenges uh, particularly around um, the, you know, the, the 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 social distancing requirements when it's it's really it, it doesn't necessarily lend itself very well, you know, for the logistics uh, part of the supply chain. But <clears throat> our industry is is battle tested, um, as you said, Michael. We've gone through some pretty significant uh, recessions. Uh, we've gone through other natural disasters, uh, such as uh, uh, climate events, um, uh, Hurricane uh, uh, Harvey in Houston in 2017, and Hurricanes Irma and uh, Marie in 2017 were were devastating for the heat, the Gulf region and for the the, the South Atlantic region, uh, respectively. And 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 logis the logistics industry, the ports the railroads, the trucking companies, the distribution centers, and the, the ultimate retailers that, that flow the product through the distribution channel, they learn from these, um, um, these situations, you know, these crises. Uh, there was a, 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 a very significant man-made um, uh, crisis back in 2002. There was a port strike that completely shut down the West Coast uh, for 10 days. Uh, which was uh, incredibly disruptive. And those of us in the intermodal and shipping industries and the retail industries learned tremendous amounts in the post-mortem afterward of how do we make these supply chains more resilient? And that's why I made the comment earlier that <clears throat> I feel that, that the supply chain itself is holding up incredibly well. Um, it's, the, it's the production part that we're starting to be challenged because of the demand pull forward, or now in some cases we're starting to see there truly are some supply shortages being driven by personnel shortages created by uh, the COVID-19 disease. Uh, we've all read recently and heard in the business news that Smithfield and Tyson Foods, two of the biggest protein or meat protein producers in the country, have had to shut some of their largest plants because of widespread, widespread um, you know, COVID disease in their plants, that will create a, uh, a production shortage that will, that will be challenging through the supply chain in the next couple of weeks, leading to meat shortages on the shelves. But that's not a supply chain issue. That really is a production disruption caused by this pandemic. And that's, that's something that's, as I said in the outset, it's almost really impossible to adequately plan for. I appreciate that. I did see the uh, Smithfield disruption, and 
you know, joking to the side, my first thought was, oh man, even if we don't see this today, we're looking at a week, two weeks uh, to figure out how this is going to impact us. Uh, but I already started seeing some concerns expressed uh, from family, from friends about what's going on in the supermarkets right now. Yeah. Um, so, you know, fingers crossed some of these things uh, end or resolve as quickly as possible. Um, Steve, that brings me to a, another thought, though. So mm. you're not a graduate of NJIT, but you do serve on our Martin Tuckman School Management Board of Visitors. Uh, Dean yeah. is the dean of that college. Um, you've also been a volunteer at a variety of other organizations. So uh, mm. if, I, if I remember correctly, you were a chairman of the Intermodal Association of North America, IANA. Right. Uh, you were on the board of directors of the International Institute of Container, Lessors, uh, mm. Executive Committee of the Ocean Carrier Equipment uh, Management uh, industry association. So you, you've had a lot of involvement in volunteer organizations. What drew you to the Tuckman school board of visitors and how do you see MTSM's mission, um, in supporting the future of intermodal of shipping and of in business and management in general? Yeah. Um, well, first of all, I, I, I love education and I love both learning and I love teaching. And what, what drew me to uh, the Martin Tuckman School of Management within NJIT is its interdisciplinary focus to fuse management, business, and technology. And, and back in my college days, I had a front row view to see the incredible success achieved by those at my college who had a, a business and engineering interdisciplinary course of study. And, and that was 30 years ago before the internet was even invented. I would say now technology is more critical to business success than ever before. And the stock market certainly recognizes it and rewards it. I mean, I think most of us who, who are watching this, um, this, uh, you know, this webcast, you know, they know who the FANG stocks are, Facebook, Apple, Amazon, Netflix, Google, all tech companies, all driving the stock market until COVID to new highs. On the other hand, look where Ford Motor Company stock is, the venerable, you know, old line company. It's at five bucks. And even old school companies like railroads that I've been involved with in, in the last 30 years, they're investing billions of dollars in technology. And at MTSM, it's their mission to provide that interdisciplinary education of technology and, and business. And it's arguably the most important approach to, to higher education today. The, uh, the, who I consider the greatest living American biographer and chronicler of innovation today, and a true Renaissance man, his name is Walter Isaacson. He, he wrote the definitive Steve Jobs biography as well as biographies of Benjamin Franklin, Albert Einstein, and most recently Leonardo da Vinci. He recently wrote in the Wall Street Journal that we're on the cusp of a transition from the digital and information age, being of the late 20th century, being the defining, driving business and social force that we have today, to the emergence of a new force, the emergence of uh, biotechnology as the next great field of discovery, of business opportunity, and of social welfare. And at NJIT and the Tuckman School of Management really sit in a perfect place to be an academic leader in both the current and the future scientific and business eras. And that's really what drew me to, uh, to, to, to connect 
you know, with the institution, um, and uh, I'm 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 really I'm proud to serve uh, as a as an advisory board member, and I really look forward to engaging with the other members and Dean Tukel on developing that platform um, and that vision for what Walter Isaacson mentioned. All right, Steve, thanks very much. Um, so I want to take a moment uh, at the conclusion here to thank you for taking the time to speak with us this morning. Sure. Uh, I want to offer my best wishes to you and your family uh, for a safe and healthy spring into summer at this point. Thank you. Thinking about you. And uh, really, thanks so much for, for taking time out of what I'm sure is a busy schedule to uh, talk to us today. Um, and my best as well to you, Dean Tukel. Thanks so much for uh, Thank you. arrangements here. So it's a real pleasure to have you both on. And uh, yeah, I look forward to welcoming you back in the near future. Yeah, thank you to both. I really enjoyed it. Um, best Great. of luck and stay safe, everyone. Thank you. So that was our latest Highlander chat with Steve Rubin, a member of the Martin Tuckman School Management Board of Visitors, uh, a supply chain and logistics executive with a very long history of uh, dealing with uh, situations like we find ourselves in right now. Uh, so again, my name is Mike Smallen. I'm executive director of the Alumni Relations Office. I invite you to leave messages on social media or on YouTube or Facebook, wherever you happen to see this video. Um, we would be happy to forward those on to Mr. Rubin uh, and ask for his response. Finally, Highlander Chats are now also a podcast, so please do search for us on Apple Podcasts, Google, uh, Spotify, or any other podcast app that you happen to use. Uh, thanks very much, and I send my best wishes to you and your families for a safe and healthy spring, and I look forward to welcoming you to our next Highlander Chat.